The following podcast contains advertising. To access an ad-free version of the Lawfare podcast, become a material supporter of Lawfare at patreon.com lawfare. That's patreon.com lawfare. Also, check out Lawfare's other podcast offerings, Rational Security, Chatter, Lawfare No Bull, and The Aftermath. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Although, as you, as you mentioned, the Swedish prime minister mentioned that the security situation is the gravest since, since the Second World War in, uh, in, in Sweden. And that is, of course, true. But on the other hand, the security situation is not as dire as we expected it to be. Because Russia is simply so tied up in Ukraine that um, it has not had the ability and the capacity uh, to... Uh, intimidate Finland and Sweden or put pressure on, on, on these two countries. At least in Finland there was quite a strong expectation that this so-called grey area uh, between application and membership could become quite difficult or could turn out to be, be very, very difficult in terms of Russian uh, disturbance attempts and, and all that. But so far, um, it has not been the case. Life has continued its, its usual calm, calm uh, way in Finland. And so there's this, this argument that because of this, we have time. So we should wait for Sweden. I'm David Priest, publisher of Lawfare. And this is the Lawfare podcast for January 26th, 2023. Turkish President Erdogan has thrown a giant wrench into Sweden's NATO membership bid after a protest outside the Turkish embassy in Stockholm. This, in turn, affects Finland's application to the alliance, because Sweden and Finland applied to and intended to join the alliance concurrently. I sat down with Mina Olander, research fellow at the Finnish Institute of International Affairs, to talk about how we got here, about what Finnish leaders have been saying about these new developments, and about paths forward for Finland and NATO. It's the Lawfare Podcast, January 26th, Finland's NATO Bid Interrupted. Let's set the stage for what we've seen in the last day or two. Mina, bring us up to speed by talking about the Finnish and Swedish applications to NATO, the progress towards the accession from all of the member countries voting for approval, and where we were in that process, especially regarding Turkey's agreement or lack thereof um, up until last week? Well, unfortunately, there hasn't been much progress in September. Uh, initially, the, the ratifications came in uh, very quickly. 28 member states um, ratified Finland and Sweden, as I mentioned, until September already. So within uh, just a couple of months after submitting the 
the applications and then uh, getting the, the NVT status at the Madrid summit. But then uh, it, the process unfortunately has stalled, um, as you mentioned, with Hungary and Turkey. Um, Hungary has been somewhat less difficult in the sense that it has just been probably playing for time and and mm-hmm. and seeing whether there's something to get out of this also um, in the EU, maybe vis-a-vis uh, Sweden and Finland. But it's, um, now the latest is that Hungary ought to ratify in February and and we have at least no, no information to the contrary mm-hmm. so far. Right. But with Turkey, it's a different issue because President Erdogan has made it an obstacle um, with Sweden that uh, he's, he's not happy with with what he calls terrorists. Um, so so there, there's a Kurdish mi- minority in Sweden and and Erdogan has handed over a long list of people to be extradited from um, Sweden to Turkey. Right. Well, let's let's review a bit of those pieces there that you just mentioned. So first, Sweden and Finland applying at the same time, and most of the member states of NATO taking their proposed memberships together and approving them both. Hungary and Turkey being the holdouts looking for some negotiations, looking for some benefits, whatever the case may be, Uh, the Turkish leadership claiming to have these concerns about Kurds and others speaking out in Sweden in particular. Were there any explicit Turkish objections to Finnish membership on top of that general concern? Not so far. These objections and also the list of demands have been mainly directed towards Sweden and nothing specific about Finland has been expressed. And, and Erdogan himself actually already last year um, kind of hinted at not having a problem with the Finnish membership. So mm-hmm. it does make Finland maybe to an extent collateral damage in this equation but since there are advantages in keeping the, the application process um, a united one with Sweden, there is unfortunately at the moment not much that Finland can do to proceed. Right. Now, up to this point, and we'll talk about the the most recent day or two in a moment, but up to this point, characterize how the Finnish leadership and the Swedish leadership have talked about applying for and joining NATO? Have they talked about it in in unison without many instances of daylight between their positions or have there been differences in their approaches? The rhetoric has been very strongly united and in favor of this uh, joint application. It was quite remarkable already in the process um, leading leading to the, the application and to the decision. Um, it was very much about the Finnish-Swedish history together and, and the very close relations between the countries and how important it is that, that we do this together and take this step together. And it has remained so also um, in Finland Although this question has uh, popped up every once in a while, if the process is taking longer with Sweden, but in principle not, or there would be an option for Finland to go ahead alone, whether Finland should then go for it. And and the state leadership has consistently uh, emphasized that we will definitely wait for Sweden and we will not separate Mm -hmm. the processes. I want to talk about that 
in some detail because the international press, at least, has been trying to read a lot into some some very anodyne comments, frankly, from the Finnish leadership. So I'm going to read you a couple of those and ask you to interpret whether you see it the same way as some of the foreign press has. So first, we had the foreign minister, I believe in Helsinki, who some say hinted at joining NATO without Sweden. His actual words included that Finland would have to evaluate the situation if it turns out that Sweden's application is stalling for a long time. I did not, when I saw the actual comments, I did not read that as the foreign minister saying that they were leaning towards pushing forward without Sweden. It looked like a very diplomatic statement, which often comes out when there's breaking news, like President Erdogan saying this, that we will evaluate the situation. But the press seems to have picked up on that and said, you know, Finland ready to go it alone into NATO. Do you you think that was jumping ahead of the actual words? To some extent, definitely, yes, because um, actually after having given that interview, Foreign Minister Harvisto uh, gave another press conference where he explicitly confirmed that Finland will stick with Sweden and and that that is definitely like the preferred option. So, of course, it is a difference uh, compared to until now. Nobody on the very highest level even mentioned this option. And it was always emphasized that we will continue on this road to NATO together with Sweden. So in that sense, it is, of course, indeed news that um, he did mention that there is this kind of option maybe somewhere in the future. And I think that the way how it could happen most likely would be if Turkey decided to ratify only Finland, but not Sweden. But other than that, it's very unlikely that Finland at any time soon would start pushing for a separate application or, or separate process. Right. Yes, you raise you raise a good point that he he did fairly quickly follow up with uh, uh, comments to reporters at Parliament saying that his comment had been imprecise. But yes, the ambition was to join NATO with Sweden, and that was unchanged from previous policy. At the same time, the the president said, I believe he was visiting in Kiev at, at the time. The president said a good Finnish statement, I'll say. He said, we have to take this calmly, which I I think is perfect. And then he noted that he thought it seemed to be the case that we have to wait for the elections in Turkey to take place in May, that that may provide an opening for some difference from the Turkish government on this issue. And I'm wondering if that comment from the president of Finland reflects your understanding as well that the dynamic in Ankara may change after May. Since I am I am not an expert on Turkish domestic politics, it's very hard for me to say what to expect uh, from the elections there. But it does seem likely that this is very much up to Erdogan's calculation, whether he thinks that he can gain more by ratifying before the elections mm-hmm. or or postponing it until at, at some late uh, until to some later point in time after the elections. And right now, I I don't really see how 
how the current mood could swing in a way that uh, the ratification would take place before. Also, there's the fact that we will have parliamentary elections in Finland in April. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. that, of course, offers yet another excuse not to ratify with the reason that uh, Finland won't have a government for a couple of weeks. So to be frank, I don't, I don't really expect anything much to happen until summer. Mm-hmm. Let me let me turn the lens back on Finland. Then, is there any significant opposition in the body politic such that the elections coming up in Finland would change the dynamic of the desire for NATO membership here? If you mean whether Finland will backtrack, definitely not. <laughs> it is very, very, very strong consensus politically and in the society. So there's no fear about Finland backtracking from the decision to join. That is absolutely secured in the parliament mm-hmm. and also in the public opinion. What could happen, though, is that that the impatience uh, grows and that uh, if we have yeah. a change in government, which looks likely at this moment, there may be a different government policy then on whether or not to wait for Sweden. Yeah, that that could be interesting to see if it if it changes that calculation. I'd like to walk through a lot of the potential paths forward here with you. And to set the stage for that, a few comments from from the Swedish side, although we'll be talking about the Finnish calculations in in this episode and not the the Swedish, but the Swedish prime minister yesterday did say in a previously unscheduled presser with with the media that the security situation in Sweden is the most difficult since the Second World War and used that as an opportunity to essentially tell the Swedish people to please hold back on provocations, in his words, to realize the seriousness of the situation, which threatens our entire democracy and peace making the point that joining NATO is the most important issue for Swedish security and perhaps protests at the Turkish embassy are best to hold off on for now. Given that context that Sweden, at least at least from the prime minister's perspective, seems to be wanting to get over this hump and work with Turkey by not provoking anything further, that, that sets the stage for what Finland can do. So, I'm going to lay out a couple of options. You tell me which ones I'm missing and let's rack and stack these to see how they could play out. First, Finland could say in the short term, forget it. Uh, We have the long border with Russia. Sweden does not. We wanted to apply with Sweden and get in with Sweden, but we see nothing from Ankara showing that it could happen quickly. Therefore, we will move forward while pledging to fully support Sweden's membership as well. So that's option one the fast track, go it alone and hope that Hungary and Turkey come on board quickly. Track two would be the opposite, which is we swear we will not join NATO until Sweden is in. We are in this together forever and we will we will do nothing to, in a sense, negotiate Sweden out of NATO membership. I think there's probably some some things that could be done from NATO in Finland and Sweden that kind of help make up for that. But those are the two starkest options. And I'm wondering if you can compare those for me in terms of what you think the likelihoods are. And then we can talk about other options that are are not that diametrically opposed. That's a good point that they are very diametrically uh, opposed and, and quite extreme in, in some ways, uh, because I 
I think that probably the truth will be somewhere in the middle. So the latter option is actually definitely the preferred one. And, and there is a good argument for it. And that is that although, as you, as you mentioned, the Swedish prime minister mentioned that the security situation is the gravest since, since the Second World War in, uh, in, in Sweden. And that is, of course, true. But on the other hand, the security situation is not as dire as we expected it to be. Because right. Russia is simply so tied up in Ukraine that um, it has not had the ability and the capacity uh, to uh, intimidate Finland and Sweden or put pressure on, on, on these two countries. At least in Finland, there was quite a strong expectation that this so-called gray area uh, between application and membership could become quite difficult or it could turn out to be, be very, very difficult in terms of Russian uh, disturbance attempts and, and all that. But so far, um, it has not been the case. Life has continued its, its usual calm, calm uh, way in Finland. And so there's this, this argument that because of this, we have time. So we should wait for Sweden. We should not let uh, Erdogan divide us from our most important partner and so on. So there is definitely that, that argument for the option B or the second option you outlined. Uh, then to the, the first option, the public opinion is getting somewhat impatient on, on this matter already. In, in uh, November last year, end of November, there was a, an opinion poll um, where 52% of the persons polled said that they would prefer Finland to just go ahead without Sweden. And while that will unlikely um, impact the government position on this, at least until the elections, depending on how the situation develops, it could definitely put some domestic pressure on a new government to at least definitely go ahead if Turkey ratified Finland first. But I think, to be honest, that it's very unlikely that Finland will proactively start pursuing this kind of separate track. And it's, it's more about this question whether Turkey would actually make this move and just ratify Finland without Sweden. Then it's a different question. Then it would be more difficult for Finland to keep waiting for Sweden. Right. There's one significant risk to this first approach you outlined, because so far we have been kind of let off the hook uh, by Turkey. We have not been um, confronted with so many demands. That has been so far the case, but, but there is no guarantee that if we started proactively separating our process from Sweden, that we will not get our own list of demands. So right. there's definitely that risk to it. That is a valid point. Leaving aside the possibility that Turkish objections are completely valid because most international observers do not see them that way. So leaving that aside and seeing it as a essentially a bullying tactic. The lesson of bullying is that it encourages more bullying. And if it's seen as drawing a wedge between Sweden and Finland in this regard, who's to say that it would not lead to more outrageous demands of, of Helsinki as well? That's an excellent point. Exactly. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, Lawfare listeners. Ben Wittes here. want to tell you about the first time I got a report from the folks at Delete Me. It was shortly after I started using the service back in 2022, and they sent me their first privacy report. I have since gotten eight others, and it contained some shocking information. They had removed my data from 56 separate data brokers, that this had included 133 separate records, including 621 individual pieces of personal information. Uh, The data broker with the most information about me was a company I'd never heard of called People by Name. And here's the thing. Since then, every couple of months, I've gotten another privacy report from Delete Me, and it always contains more information that they have removed from the data brokers about me. In the second report, they informed me they had removed my stuff from 41 data brokers and that the one with the most information about me was called HLEC. I have no idea what HLEC is. So the other day, I got my latest report and it includes 15 more data brokers with my personal information, 113 pieces of personally identifiable information, Big culprit this time is something called my life. Well, I want to tell you that they don't have my life anymore. And that is why I recommend Delete Me. As this little anecdote shows, there's a lot of my data out there. And these companies keep acquiring it and making it available to anybody who can pay. And I have uh, slept a little bit more easily ever since I found a solution to this problem. And I want to stress, as I do every time, that I started using this before Delete Me started advertising with Lawfare. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online, and it makes sure it stays off. And that's the point of this little story, that you know they keep coming back. You can get it removed once, but they'll put it back, and then Delete Me comes and takes it off again. It's a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential identity theft, doxing, and phishing scams. Delete Me sends you regular personalized privacy reports, just like the ones I've been describing, showing what info they found where, where they found it, and what they removed. And critically, as this story reflects, it isn't just a one-time service. It's always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you don't want on the internet. It does all the hard work 
of wiping you and your family's personal information off the web. Data brokers hate Delete Me, which is why I like it. Your profile is no longer theirs to sell. So take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash lawfare20 and use promo code lawfare20 at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash lawfare20 and enter code lawfare20 at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash lawfare20, code lawfare20. Let's talk about a way of bridging this gap. And, and you're very astute on issues of uh, Baltic security and dynamics in, in these issues. I'd like to run by you what, what I think is a distinct possibility, maybe a probability in the coming months, and, and see what you think of it. To me, NATO is an alliance, and in order to have full membership, yes, all of the member states must agree, which makes sense for a collective security organization. That said, any any member state can enter into other alliances with other countries, including multilateral alliances, or even short of a formal alliance, any country can enter into strong alignments with other countries that include de facto security guarantees and uh, enhanced military interoperability and training and exercises. Do you see as, as likely as I see it, that if there is a many, many month stalemate here, that the majority of countries in NATO, perhaps 28 out of 30, perhaps even Hungary, would go along with a de facto alliance with Sweden and Finland and essentially have them in NATO in everything but name only. Uh, including ramping up of exercises, participation in multilateral exercises to the extent possible, and an enhancement of what have already come out as public statements from many member states guaranteeing the security of Sweden and Finland through any means necessary to to help them. Do you see that as, in a sense, a way of keeping the situation going for formal membership, but helping defend Sweden and Finland should the need arise? That is a very interesting proposal and, uh, of course, these kind of ideas have been floated. I would actually even go as far as to say that to some extent it is already happening without anyone having actually announced it. Mm -hmm. uh, because, for example, in Finland there's constant exercise activity. There's been, since uh, the, the application was handed in in uh, Brussels, it was quite impressive actually End of uh, May 2022, um, the Finnish defense minister announced 20 new exercises for 2022 only. So for the remaining uh, months of 2022, um, so, so new or partially modified exercises and all of them obviously with international partners, meaning NATO partners. So there were American uh, partners almost constantly for months on end in Finland 
in different exercises uh, last year. Um, there were there was, for example, this one um, very interesting exercise called Vigilant Knife. In uh, I love the name. Sorry, I have to emphasize it's so funny. Anyways, uh, it is a wonderful name. <laughs> so um, so this exercise was planned on very short notice, and um, it was with Swedes and uh, and um, British participants and um, the idea was to test the Finnish Swedish uh, interoperability and how well it works on short notice normally you would take months at least to plan this kind of an, a kind of an exercise but uh, the the experience was very positive it went uh, very well and and um, so the conclusion was that the, the mobility between fin- Finland and Sweden to get uh, Swedish troops, uh, to Finland, and they were then under Finnish command. That went very well. well. And there have been lots of exercises in in all areas, air, ground, and sea, continuously. So this exercise activity is already happening and taking place. Uh, the, as I mentioned, the Americans are extremely active, extremely present. Also, the British, Norwegians are also um, like maybe the, the third most present uh, NATO ally, but also others have participated. Also, France and Germany participated in a big naval exercise called uh, Freezing Wind, which was also an ingenious name. So uh, this is already happening. And, and then uh, Finland and Sweden are currently in the process of negotiating uh, defense cooperation agreements with the U.S., so, so there is already um, a basis for this from 2016 bilaterally and 2018 uh, statements of intent of uh, defense cooperation and so on. So this has been already going on for a while. But this, the, the, the qualitative difference is that these DCAs are actually legally binding documents that um, will regulate the um, legal status of U.S. troops and equipment in, in Finland and Sweden. So this takes the cooperation to a completely next level. So Finland and Sweden are already pursuing this kind of like bilateral things while the actual NATO process is stalling. Mm-hmm. And uh, whether I think that it's it's likely that something in in a more let's say informally formal way uh, would um, emerge in this of of this nature, I doubt that it's very likely because I think there's a very very big hurdle to actually omitting or like circumventing the the collective defense and the the because mm-hmm. it would to a certain extent kind of question nato's uh purpose as it is and and it would be in terms of nato's internal diplomacy quite a difficult thing to do but of course it would be a very strong message towards turkey obviously absolutely and i have to say uh if i if i'm in moscow reading the situation it's pretty clear that the the major military and strategic partners in NATO from from the United States through the United Kingdom and France and Germany when you when you have almost unanimous support from NATO and Turkey is the only holdout it's not as if Moscow would be looking at some future scenario with Finland and Sweden and seeing that there would be absolute and total dissension in the NATO countries over any kind of confrontation whereby there would be a splintering of the alliance where only a couple of countries would would agree to cooperate in a security sense with with the Finns or the Swedes. I, I think, I'm not sure I can understand Moscow's perspective very well lately, but if I'm looking at the situation from Moscow, I certainly see this as a sign that Sweden and Finland have 
a, a lot more support than than a few years ago, and certainly would be virtually a NATO ally, if not one in terms of full coordination and, and full alliance membership. Do you see it that way? Absolutely. And, and that has been made quite clear both by the US and by Stoltenberg, the, the general secretary. So I think that it is indeed, as you say, that Finland and Sweden are virtually members in all but name. Um, of course, at least in Finland, where uh, we tend to be very, very realistic and and rather like on the pessimistic side, just to be safe uh, and like you you know better to be safe than sorry. Obviously, we still do want to get the full um, security guarantee of Article Five. So obviously, anything else or any other arrangement will be will be kind of. Plan B and and not quite uh, as satisfactory as that, but obviously it's for me completely impossible to imagine a situation where Finland and or Sweden would be somehow threatened and NATO would just watch and uh, stand by. I can't imagine that kind of a scenario happening. Mm-hmm. So um, I think we are already definitely half or more than halfway there and and definitely in the alliance already with more than just one foot let's say one and a half so i i think i fully agree with you and you're completely right on this and we do have some additional evidence that there's no real barrier to defense and security cooperation between finland and turkey our friend Henry Van Hannen, who is going to join us for this conversation, but we had some uh, technical issues. He has tweeted out that Finland has granted a new defense material export permit to Turkey for the export of reinforced steel by a Finnish company, which certainly makes it seem as if Finland is is <laughs> determined to proceed as if as if things are going to move forward and things are going to work out they're they're not looking to escalate it in a sense following the idea of the president who said we have to take it calmly do you see any evidence to the contrary that there's there's likely to be any finnish moves to in a sense flex some muscle with ankara to try to help resolve the swedish issue directly I don't really see that coming and I also don't see how it would be helpful. Um, I think just keeping calm is <laughs> the right approach and and it's better to avoid any kind of additional provocations uh, that will just probably add water to the mill, as we say in Finland, because the ball is in Erdogan's court and especially as still a non-NATO member state, um, there isn't that much that Finland could do about it, really. And, and I think trying to exert some pressure on Turkey would be probably very counterproductive. So I guess there's there's not much else that can be done except wait and see until the Turkish elections are over and done with and then, then possibly re-evaluate what the situation is. Right. Does the whole situation here, Mina, does the fact that so many countries ratified within weeks uh, of the formal application. And I, I recall we were we were tracking on a hour by hour basis for a while there which countries were ratifying at, yeah. at what speed and that was a, that was fun. 
Do you think that because Hungary has taken so long, and especially because Turkey has been playing this this game, let's assume that in a year that these objections are overcome and Finland and Sweden are members of NATO, do you think that there will be some lingering concerns about the reliability and the depth of Turkish support for for Finland's security in particular and NATO in general? Well, I do think that this has definitely damaged Turkey's image in Finland. One one factor that has really triggered some uh, bitterness is that Finland has been actually quite a long-term supporter of Turkey's EU perspective. Um, so there was some feeling of betrayal uh, in that sense. And also because the logic is so very different than how Finns act um, and and handle international relations so it has been quite the let's say crash course on also nato's internal workings and diplomacy and nato's internal politics as well Uh, it is not only a defense alliance but also there's quite a lot of like politics to it as well Uh, so in that sense yeah it's been quite the lesson and i think it really depends on how far Turkey will take this and what it will take to get the ratifications. If it just stalls until after the elections and then at some point it's like, oh, well, now we'll get this done and and no very hard feelings remain, I think it would be not very beneficial if Turkey, for example, really uh, insisted on Sweden actually making some changes in, in its uh, legislation because that is kind of considered to be quite an audacious demand so Mm -hmm. i think it really depends on how far turkey will go with this and on what exactly will it insist but if it can be resolved somehow halfway (laughs) peacefully in a sense that uh that then the objections will be dropped at some point and an understanding can be found i think people will be able to kind of you know, get over it. Finns tend not to forget, <laughs> but uh, I, I think people can forgive it and then just move on and, and understand that, okay, this is just a completely different way of doing politics. But I do think that this has uh, still damaged Turkey's image to quite an extent in both countries. Sure. Well, to close, we've we've talked about the, the government, obviously, in, in Helsinki, and, and you've brought up some public opinion matters but I'd like to talk about the foreign policy and security community that that you are a part of. You're you're studying these issues, looking at these issues from a non-governmental perspective. And I'd I'd like to hear what the what your mood is and and what the general cooperation and coordination has been in the last few months with other similarly minded foreign policy and security experts across NATO. Are you seeing that some of the groundwork that obviously governments are doing. You mentioned joint military exercises and such, but a, a lot of the fabric of NATO has to do with with civil society. And your aspect of that is, of course, being a security analyst. Are you seeing those those ties being built even as the actual process of alliance membership is stalled? Oh, yes, definitely. So uh, what we have been very busy with are uh, 
all kinds of cooperation formats with the other Nordic institutes in the, in the other Nordic countries. Uh, with, with Sweden, uh, we have further intensified our uh, cooperation also on the uh, think tank and, and um, research institute level. Uh, the same with Norway and 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 this this whole Nordic cooperation is obviously already very very tight, but there's there's a whole new momentum uh, in that definitely, um, and and that is taking place also on the governmental level. So so there's a lot of movement there, but also with uh, for example the NATO Defense College, we are um, establishing some cooperation with them, and and there's definitely a lot going on. There's this intense interest in Finland and Sweden um, now because of everything that is going on, which is quite unusual, especially for Finland. We used to be more like uh, on the unknown side of uh, of the world, um, so it has been quite quite an interesting experience to be in the focus of so much international attention. So yes, uh, also on the on the let's say security analyst community that is definitely taking place there there are regular exchanges and cooperation formats especially in the nordics but also with other partners uh, from elsewhere in europe and with the us obviously yep that'll do it for today mina thank you for joining us thank you so much the lawfare podcast is produced in cooperation with the brookings institution You can get ad-free versions of this and several of our other podcasts by supporting us materially at patreon.com slash lawfare. Your support enables everything we do, and we do appreciate it. This podcast is edited by Jen Pacha Howell. Your audio engineer this episode was me. Our music is performed by Sophia Yan. As always, thank you for listening. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.